every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Genevieve Andrus. And I'm Mackenzie Clark. And today, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 8, Away with the Fairies. So I read that Away with the Fairies is an old-timey way of saying that someone's, like, out to lunch. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense, because the character who is Away with the Fairies as in dead in this episode, was a little out to lunch. Yeah, Marvin the Monitor Lizard. Marvin the Malevolent Monitor Lizard. Yeah, get it right. <laughs> that wouldn't make a mistake like that. <laughs> um, well, what did you think of this episode overall? You know, I think it starts strong with some sparks flying, but it's not my favorite, because, like, I just don't think it's that exciting, like... Yeah, the murder, I mean, is not that thrilling to me. But I do like the concept of a women's magazine. Mm -hmm. I like that about it. Yeah, I liked this episode. Um, I think there's some great Friny Jack follow-up, which the first time I watched the show I got very excited about, and I still get pretty excited about it. There's some definite, um, just some close calls in this episode. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't... Yeah, that's why I said that I liked... I thought that it started strong, because I... I <laughs> I definitely watched those scenes, like, multiple times. Yeah, I watched some good stuff. Overall, I liked this episode. I think, um, I thought the murder was interesting, and... Yeah, yeah. There's, it's not my number one favorite murder, but there have been worse ones. Definitely. Definitely have been worse ones. And also, as we segue into the cold open, I will say that, um, it's one of the first episodes in a while where we actually see the person die, I think, in the cold open. Yeah, it's still not the prolonged death sequence I think we were all waiting for, but... Yeah, and I particularly like to draw attention to the death of the bird, which was... Instantaneous. Instantaneous. I think there would have been more flapping around, personally, but... Well, but I think it it, it was asphyxiated, so... Okay, yeah. Well, I don't know. But, but you probably would... It probably would have been some flapping around. Yeah. I didn't research how birds die, but... How birds die when poisoned with cyanide. <laughs> Should Google that. I can Google that right now. <laughs> um, so on that note, the cold open is uh, somebody in an office scene where a lady is packing up to leave, and um, she puts on a music box for her bird, which is a humorous thing to do. She's also wearing a very purple dress, which is very similar to what I wore to work today, so. Um, well, your outfit is a lot more attractive than hers was. I hated this dress. <laughs> I thought maybe if it was, like, red or something, it could have worked, but it was just, like, really busy. I didn't like it. She also had a lot of ugly knickknacks in her office, which I know isn't important to the plot, but... I think they were trying to establish her as a fussy older lady. Mm -hmm. Well, and I did read the book, and in the book, the murder happens um, in her apartment, and her apartment is just, like, chock full of stuff, and you read about Franny, like, going there, and it's just, like, stuff everywhere, and, like, knickknacks and fairy figurines everywhere. Oh man, I kind of wish this character had gotten that kind of character development. Like, that they, I feel like they robbed her of it in the show. Yeah, she dies immediately. In the book, there's a little more, like, you get to see her house and all that. Hmm. Okay, well, so she turns the music box on, the bird drops dead, and then she immediately starts to choke and also drops dead. And then there's, like, a close-up on the spinning ballerina music box. A clue? Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> also, her throat and the bird sort of are glowing fluorescent blue. Yes, true. True. She also establishes that it's 7 o'clock, which is home time, which we learn later is when she leaves the office every day. Important. She should go home earlier. Maybe she would have lived. So then, next, uh, Dot comes in to wake Miss Fisher up um, and mentions that the editor of the Women's Choice magazine has died. Uh, this woman writes stories about fairies, Marvin the Malevolent Monitor Lizard. Um, and Miss Fisher is, like, upset about this and immediately sets off to investigate. I'll note that Dot is also upset about this because she wants to know what happens to, um, the malevolent monitor lizard for her nieces, of course, but... And I'll note that she's wearing a really ugly oversized collar in this scene. Mm, so bad. With a bad cardigan. Yeah, it's bad. It's classic she Dot. It, she wears it throughout the episode. <laughs> um, I'll also note that... Friday is having the type of, before she learns about, like, someone that she knows dying, is having the type of morning that I wish I had every morning. <laughs> She's, like, stretching and luxuriating in bed. She also has a really cool comforter, which I'm jealous of. Um, I'm shopping for a comforter right now. I've not seen anything that <laughs> magnificent, so. Yeah, she really is just, I mean, it looks really luxurious, and my first thought when I saw this scene was, like, does Dot ever walk in on her with, like, a man in her bed, you know? And I think Dot knows when... So she, so she doesn't Dot's good at her job, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then, uh, Miss Fisher once again in her white pants, the white slacks that I love. I love her outfit in this scene. Yeah. It's so good. It's great. She's, like, striding confidently to the magazine office, 
and someone has broken the window, and when she gets inside, she sees that someone has also painted bitch on the wall outside the magazine's office. <laughs> and I just wanted to know that, like, viscerally, that actually really bothered me. It For some reason, it kind of, like, sent me back to being in high school, and when someone would, like, like, particularly, like, when a man would say something like that to me, like, mm-hmm. there's just something about, like, gendered insults that yeah. is just really cuts you to your core. I don't know what it is, but I was just like, ouch, man, ouch. Yeah, whereas, like, if I would refer to myself as a bitch, that doesn't bother. Like, I would do that. Oh, it's different, yeah. It's so different, though. But if, if, like, a man says it to you, it just makes me feel so small for some reason. I don't know. Well, I think that was the intent of the bitch written on the wall in red paint. Yeah. I just really felt like, once again, I was 16 and someone had left a rude, anonymous comment on my live journal. This is why you didn't have a live journal. No, I did, and I I, oh. I cried for hours. Okay. Um. <laughs> Could have avoided that pain. <laughs> so, um, when, when she gets there, Jack and Hugh are already on the scene, and Hugh tries to stop Miss Fisher, but she just, like, barges right in. <laughs> in. In classic Hugh fashion, he's like, Oh, no, 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 we were... Why are... What are you doing here? We were trying to keep it out of the press, and he's sort of, like, flustering around, <laughs> and she just, like, strides by <laughs> Also, like, before she walks up, he's just kind of got this daydreamy look on his face. Like, he's just sort of, like, probably thinking about little witty things he's going to say to Dot later. Like, hey, Daddy, guess what I thought of? Blah, blah, blah. And then Miss Fisher comes in and he's like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he definitely has that air of someone who's, like, caught kind of daydreaming on the job. Yeah. So then once she gets in there, we get our first tense. Oh, their faces are just so close. It's just like... (laughs) So close. <laughs> yes. Um, and alas. It's sort of like, so she walks in on Jack, who's investigating the murder, and he sees her pants, and he comes up from the floor where he's crouching, and he does this, like, full body scan. <laughs> and then the look on his face uh-huh. is like, I couldn't even come, with an, come up with an adjective to describe it. It's just, I don't even know. Like, the sexual tension in this episode is, like, through the roof. It, it's through the roof, yeah. It's just through, like, this scene. Like, they're literally, there's a dead body in the room, <laughs> and yet their faces get so close, it's as if they're about to kiss, and then in strides Mrs. Charlesworth. Oof. Just getting hot and bothered just I know. thinking about it. Oof. Might also be because we're shut up in this small room. <laughs> <laughs> Our recording studio. We can't open a window, listeners, because then you'd hear cars going by outside. Oh, I also have in my notes, my morning after awkward encounters have never been this cool. Um, no, definitely not. (laughs) Um, so then after this faces close together moment, Jack kicks everyone out of the crime scene, um, which I suspect is just because he needs a moment to cool off. He's just like, yeah, he needs to cool off. He needs to collect himself. (laughs) And then they all just kind of lurk outside the door. And Hugh looks like it's the most awkward thing that's ever happened (laughs) to him. Oh, and then I also have in my notes that, like, Mrs. Charlesworth, the editor of the Women's Choice magazine, who, like, is sort of a, you know, like, a middle-aged woman. Uh, and when I describe this show to people, like, and I say, oh, you know, it's it's about this lady detective in the 1920s, they are all picturing Miss Charlesworth. They're, <laughs> they're not picturing Franny Fisher. They're, like, they all make comments that indicate to me that they think this isn't, like, an, an old woman mm-hmm. investigating crimes and not, like... Well, yeah, they're thinking of Miss Marple, who is cool, or um, the woman from Murder, She Wrote, also cool, but not in the same way that Phryne is cool. She's just not the same. Yeah, and I mean, I want to be clear, there's nothing wrong with being an old woman. No, I think those shows are fantastic yeah. books, so. What makes this show great is that Phryne is an older woman, and she's still, like, a hot, ass-kicking, like, sex-having, yep. you know... I will say, though, that was Mr. Butler's first impression as well. So these people that you're telling about the show, they're really just, you know, thinking what Mr. Butler thought. That's true. Yeah. All right. So then we meet the other employees and the boss lady who I referred I refer to Mrs. Charlesworth through my notes as boss lady. Oh, I refer to um, her as Mrs. C, but I like yours better. She's just, she's a boss lady. She strides around and tells people what to do, reminds them of their deadline. Yeah. She, I like when she says no time for the vapors. I kind of want to try and, like, just sort of integrate that into my day-to-day conversation. <laughs> what did she... Did she mean, like, talking? Yeah, because they're standing around gossiping, and she's like, no time for the vapors, we have a deadline. I thought that meant the vapors coming off the coffee, but I think that speaks more to my coffee addiction than <laughs> the phrase. <laughs> oh, no, I think having the vapors means, like, you're, um, like, gonna faint or something. 
Oh, well, because one of their coworkers was literally murdered in the office. Yeah, and maybe she's indicating the fact that they're having a completely absurd reaction. Once again, we have a group of coworkers who are not even have not even become upset that their close coworker has just died, been murdered, in fact. Yeah, so they're just standing around talking about it, like someone ordered the wrong paper. Not like someone literally keeled her dead in their office. Yeah. Well, it turns out none of them liked her, so. I think even if my coworker who I didn't like was murdered in the office, I would probably want the day off. I would, number one, be terrified. Yeah. Number two, just super upset generally about the person dying. (laughs) Although I do think they, I don't think at this point they know it's murder. Right, yeah. But it's always murder, folks. It's always murder. Um, so then, uh, I would just like in my notes now to do a quick, I have uh, written the suspects, so I'd like to do a quick rundown of the- I also have that. (laughs) The members of the magazine staff who we will introduce as the suspects. So we start with Helen Opie, who writes about domestic and cooking, more like domestic disturbances. (laughs) (laughs) Letitia Prout fashion and social calendar, a.k.a. where you can get out and show some stocking, do the Charleston, soak some sly grog, engage in mischief with mischief with men of questionable morals. <laughs> um, John Bell, the concession to manhood, he writes about gardening. I wrote, token man. I wrote, I sense bedroom eyes in our future. <laughs> Although, I'll be honest, the first time I watched the show, I thought he was gay, and that, like, that was going to be the thing that she was figuring out in the photo, was that like, he was the other guy's lover. I don't know. I And then, that's not. I think I thought the same thing, too. Um, I can't remember, because it was a while ago, but yeah, just a stylish Italian man. Working at a ladies' magazine. I don't know. I'd I'm making a lot of assumptions. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, I'd also like to note that, like, in a later season, Franny will have a real romance with a much less hot Italian man. And I just thought, like, why couldn't the actor who played John Bell played that guy? But anyway, I digress. <laughs> I didn't find him that attractive, but maybe it's because I remembered he was the murderer pretty pretty early on. Well, listeners, I hope you watch the episode. I think we've recommended multiple times you should watch the episode because we will spoil it for you. Yeah. Um, and then our final suspect is Stephen Opie, husband of Helen Opie, and he's the office caretaker who recently fixed the pipes. Finally. After three days, I wrote in all caps, I smell a clue, this is a very specific detail. I wrote, his wife's been getting her pipes worked on too. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Fisher has a chat with the editor, Georgina Charlesworth, who turns out was Miss Fisher's old teacher. Of course, because, you know. Yeah. Um, and she's a little upset because the magazine is in such a bind. She's not upset, let's note, because the co-owner of the magazine and her partner has just been brutally murdered. Someone that she's known for a long time, like, this was, Miss Violet was also, or Miss Lavender was also Friday's teacher. Like, these two ladies have been, t- like, working together for a long time. They go way back. Um, but no, she's upset because they really have to make the printer's deadline, and the next installment of Miss Lavender's story, Away with the Fairies, is stuck in the office where Jack is holed up, like, presumably taking, like, deep, calming breaths, and, you know, just, like, telling himself that he's a strong, independent man, probably. (laughs) Oh, man. But this conveniently does give Miss Fisher a great excuse to go back in there, because she tells Miss C that she's gonna find the story, and when she says that, she looks so smug. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then she just marches right into the crime scene and plops herself down at the table, like, on top of what is probably evidence. Oh, yeah. And she's not even wearing gloves. No. And she tries to weasel the story out of the office, and, and then she says, she asks Jack if the furrow in his brow has anything to do with kissing me the other night, and the sexual tension just ratchets right back up to 100. Oh, my God. I watched the scene... Yeah, Um, I love it because it's like at first Jack is really trying to keep Mm -hmm. his composure, and he's like, "That was just, you know, I was trying to distract you. Uh, It was all business, and this is very serious matter." And then when she is like, "Oh, let's call a spade a spade," he it all the facade just crumbles, and he's like, "You kissed me back," Uh and it's like, "Okay, it's not all business." It's definitely not all business. And, oh man, they're just like once again they just get so close to kissing again that you like you can almost feel it. Oh yeah, and I 
thought, like, what if in this scene she had just kind of, like, grabbed him by the tie and just Ugh. kissed him again? And, like, I mean, this would have been the series finale of the whole show. Like, that would have been... So, I guess in that sense it's good that she didn't do that, but... Oh. It's pretty hot. It's pretty hot. And also, it's arguably more hot because she doesn't do that, so... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's my number. Drag it out and... <laughs> And then she says, I promise not to touch anything, and she just gives him a once-over. Like, oh my god. She is thinking about touching him. I didn't even catch that little joke. Because then she touches everything uh-huh. with no gloves, and she's uh-huh. just, like, she makes a big show of, like, rifling around and touching the music box, which, like, doesn't she get poison on her hands? Well, she touches the top, not the, because the poison was on the winder thing, oh. and she just, like, opens the lid. Right. So. So basically, she barely tries to locate the story, and then Jack kicks her out. But he says he'll keep an eye out for it. Yes. And I think he means it. Yeah. Well, we find out later that he does mean it. Because he wants an excuse to stop by the house. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> Late in the evening, you know. I promise not to touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to watch this scene again after we're done. <laughs> Genevieve. What? To hose you down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so then Miss <laughs> Fisher goes back out to Miss Charlesworth and um, she says that the magazine has been harassed before. Bricks through the window, a dead possum, women with opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Like, women don't read the newspaper anymore. No, I mean, I do appreciate that she says that because, like, I, I think it's important to go to people where they're at. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I'll also note on a way less serious note that Boss Lady's hair is very strange. Like, I don't understand where her bangs start. <laughs> Did you notice this? They just sort of, like, come from the middle of the top of her head, but not, like, a bang. Just sort of, like, this little piece that's just sitting on top of her hair and then sort of, like, blends in with the bun on the side. It's very strange. I didn't notice that at all. And then once I noticed it, every time I saw her, I was like, how do the bang? where are the bangs coming from? Like, they seem to be sitting on top and sitting Anyways. Yeah, her style wasn't, like, award-winning. No. <laughs> um, I also just want to note that, like, when she says that, a, when she says a dead possum, I, I immediately began picturing, like, the Australian possum, which I know in, in New Zealand it's an invasive species and it's really harmful. That's why I've seen so many of them, because I studied abroad there. They were just, like, always getting hit by cars, so they were all over the place. But they look like cute little bears. Because, like, in America, possums are disgusting. They're hideous. They're, like, giant rats. Yeah, they have those gross tails. Yeah, ew. The tail's the worst part. It's just so gross. It looks like a rutabaga. <laughs> I like rutabaga. Now it's ruined. Forever. Are rutabagas the big round ones? I'm thinking of parsnips. Their tails, oh, look, like, yeah, their tails yeah. look like parsnips. Yeah, it looks more like a par- parsnip. Okay. makes more sense <laughs> than rutabaga. <laughs> we could probably cut my like tirade about possums, but anyway. Keep it in. Keep it in. Um, also, I wrote in my notes that like in this day and age, it would be your personal address posted on Reddit. So maybe a dead possum is preferable. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, this is basically the 1920s version of doxing, though. They were pretty, they were harassing that magazine. That's true. Yeah. Although we find out later, well, there's not an excuse for that, but the man was in distress. Yeah, yeah. But no one stands a chance against, like, a sassy lady in white slacks. KK, Miss Fisher. I wish I was, like, three inches taller so I could pull off slacks like that, but. Just wear heels. (sighs) (laughs) Um,. I also want to know if there's some kind of rule in Australia about whether or not you can wear white pants after Labor Day. Like, the equivalent, because, like, obviously you probably don't have the same Labor Day holiday and your seasons are the opposite of ours. So, like, Australian listeners, if you want to fill us in on white pants rules, please write to us. Yeah, because Miss Fisher seems to wear them all the time, but she also seems to not care about the rules, so. Yeah, I mean, she looks awesome in them, so. Yeah. So back at the ranch, <laughs> Franny is reading... Women's Choice magazine, and says, who on earth wants an embroidered lavatory seat anyways, because it's apparently one of the articles, and then Dot hastily puts away her needlework, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) And then she's like, gets defensive, and she's like, there's also a story on women going to university. And a story on family planning. Shocking. And then Dot looks a little sick as she says that, (laughs) but we know she read it. It was hard for her to even get the words out. Mm -hmm. Imagine what that article would have been like. It would have been like, Family planning tips for married women and only married women and certainly not any single women, but just put this diaphragm in your vag. <laughs> I'm sure that was word for word do what it said. Do you think it used a lot of euphemisms? Like, there probably were no diagrams about, like, how to insert a diaphragm. I don't know, though. I think I get the feeling that this magazine is a little subversive, so yeah. I think... 
Maybe. I don't know. There might have been a diagram hidden in there. A diagram. <laughs> we do find out, though, that there is Artemis, who's an agony ant, solves everyone's problems, and that long-lost Alice, who we haven't seen in so long, wrote asking if she should get engaged to Cess, and Artemis said she could do better. <laughs> so our first taste of the fact that Artemis might be uh, a little bit harsh with her advice. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so then, uh, Jack strolls into the house, having brought <laughs> this story... Um, and he immediately spoils it for Dot, because I guess they didn't have spoiler alerts back then, which makes sense, um, because they didn't have the internet. Also, I think he was thinking a little bit more about Friday than Dot in this moment. Yeah, and also, like, it's cool because she's only reading it for her nieces and nephews, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Also, I thought this was just a really nice, I know he's using it as an excuse to get to the house, but also, like, he did not have to do that. Yeah, and I also think it's cute that he, um. He read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had to make sure that there weren't any clues in there. I just want the deleted scene where Jack's sort of, like, sitting back in his office with his feet up, kind of paging through this story, going, oh, not even the malevolent monitor, monitor lizard. And, like... I bet he kind of got into it. I, yeah. Definitely. Um, we also learned that the victim died of cyanide. Another cyanide poisoning victim. Has been dead since early evening, the night before. She left at 7 p.m. every night... And, um, then Friday asks Jack if he's wooing her for information, and they once again seem right on track to repeat that kiss. And this, I think, is where the episode kind of goes off the rails, I mean, which it obviously needs to, to prolong this sort of will-they-won't-they romance, but I think something could have happened here, Mm -hmm. and it's implied that something could have happened if Lean Chung hadn't then at that moment walked in. Yeah, because it's like, Dot is out of the room, they're not at a crime scene anymore, there's no dead bodies, they're in the comfort of... Friday's living room. Jack has done something that's, like, pretty much just a personal gesture, not a professional one. Yeah. But it's just one of many walk-in cock blocks uh, to come. There's so many. <laughs> and um, then Jack looks, the the look of disappointment on his face. I, like, paused it just to look at oh, it. It's, like, yeah. so when, when Lean Chow walks in, he's just like, mm, you can just see the frustration. He's like, oh, yeah. And then Friday looks kind of delighted. She's like, oh, look, two men. <laughs> Yeah, he's for sure jealous. Oh, yeah. And I think Lean is also, like, he's really pleased, I think, to be, like, the the winner of this little, like... Oh, yeah, they exchange a look. They definitely that exchange a like, look. That is, like, really yeah. charged. And Jack gets all official and is like, well, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but right before that, he looks like he's under the, like, spell of the great hypno. He's just, like, totally <laughs> mesmerized. And then he's like, oh, yes, I was just dropping off these important files and... There's absolutely nothing personal here. It was all business. Now I'm going back to my important job mm-hmm. where there are no ladies. But I think they all knew it wasn't just business. Yep. Yep. Um, so um, Jack, because he's a strong, independent police investigator, <laughs> strides off confidently to interview the staff of the magazine. Um, and we find out that uh, Letitia hates Miss Lavender for being an icy bitch. And she's not afraid who knows it. Yeah, she's a bull. She's a bull. She asked Jack if she can join him on police rounds. And, you know, I think that his response to this is remarkably civil. It's out of character. He's well, I think he's he's still a little, he's a little flustered. And yeah. then this other beautiful woman is like, oh, I want to come on rounds with you. He's like, oh, too many women. <laughs> but then he just, like, pulls out his trump card, which is that he has, like, a warning letter for Letitia. Yeah. You know, indicating that he thinks she might be a suspect. Oh, yeah, and he just, like, drops it on her. And she does. She's like, well, it doesn't prove anything. Blech. So... <laughs> And she also tells him that Miss Lavender and Miss Charlesworth didn't get along, which might explain why Miss Boss Lady was, like, unfazed by her longtime partner's death. Yeah. I think we have another suspect. I also think, like, Letitia is sort of, like, established as someone who, like, doesn't care who knows that she didn't like Miss Lavender, and it's just, like, like, she just, you know as the viewer that she can't be the murderer because it's too obvious. (laughs) Um, so then we cut back to the ranch, uh, where... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Friday's uh, gotten over her flustered sexual tension in an alternate way. Yeah, she just channeled it into a, a different sort of uh, interview. Um, <laughs> and Lean is telling her that he's back in town because his engagement has been po- postponed due to the fact that his future wife is not demure enough. She's been difficult. She refused a medical exam to prove her chastity. <laughs> 
Um, so he's, like, getting it in before this dispute yeah. is resolved. Uh, but Miss Fisher seems like she's pretty ready to rush off. She's like, well, that was fun, but... Uh... I'll also know, I have, we can cut this, but I have in my notes that Lee wants to get back to it, and I said, what stamina? Like, they literally just had sex, and then he's like, let's go for another round. Yeah, well, he also looks like he's about 15 years younger than her, so maybe he's just really, you know, I don't it's know. It's just, uh, we can cut that. <laughs> Quick turnaround. <laughs> um, we then- can definitely cut. Uh, my husband Dan was watching this episode with me, and so I wrote down various things that he said at different points. Oh, good. Please share. At this point, he said, do you ever get to see Miss Fisher's butt? <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that question is no. No. You don't. Not even the nude photo. The nude, not no, the, nude photo. Nude painting. Yeah. It's just at the front. Full frontal, though. Uh, so then, back to Jack, who is... <laughs> Sorry. Not just been getting it on. He's interviewing Stephen Opie, the office caretaker, and he's pretty awkward. Mm. Um, and it, sort of it's cut cut in alternating yeah. an interview with his wife, and it's clearly established that their timelines conflict. Someone's got to be lying. Yeah, he says he found the body at 6 a.m. after fixing the pipes, which, like, I mean, he's there pretty early in the morning to be fixing yeah. the pipes, and that they'd been, been without water for a couple days. And then he saw the smash window, the slogan, so he uses his master key to get into Miss Lavender's studio and discover his body. And then the wife says she left the office at 6 and caught a cab because she promised her husband she'd be home by 6.30, but then he says she gets home at 7, and then he's like, she works too much, which is, like, generous. And then Jack plays his trump card and says, it's only a five-minute trip home, and yet you left half an hour. And she kind of plays it off. Like, she doesn't... She's like, oh, there's traffic. Uh, could it be a red herring? Dun-dun! <laughs> um, she also says that Miss Lavender's eyes are the last to leave the office to make other people feel guilty, and I think we've all had that coworker. Oh my god, yes. Ugh. I won't name any names. Yeah, in case they're listening, which they're probably not. Probably but... not, but you know who you are if you're out there. Yeah. Staying late to make everybody else look bad. Just on Facebook. <laughs> Sporkle quizzes. I know who you are. <laughs> um, so then, Miss Fisher interviews Mr. Bell, and as predicted, he's a charmer. The bedroom eyes make an appearance, and um, he says he's not intimidated by working with a lot of women. And mm-hmm. I think I could use more men like that in my life. Really? He seems annoying. Oh, no, I just mean men who are, aren't intimidated oh. by working with a lot of women. Yeah. I was like, I don't think I'd actually want to work with this guy. But... No, no, not him specifically, but... <laughs> I see what you mean. Friday engages in some light flirting, and then asks who Artemis is, but he won't tell her, and then we see Helen engaging in some heavy flirting. Yes. So, um, but then, of course, it's immediately established that, um... The agony on Artemis is, in fact, Miss Lavender, which for some reason is a secret. I don't know why that needs to be a secret. Like, the staff aren't allowed to tell anyone. Well, presumably because people would be seeking revenge on this person who gives terrible advice. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, in fact, what happened. (laughs) So, um, Miss Charlesworth allows Miss Fisher to take the letters and go through them herself because she doesn't have time to do it, and I think she doesn't want the police to go through them. Yeah, definitely. She's kind of hiding some stuff from the police, like the fact that Miss Lavender was Artemis. Yeah. Well, she says, I mean, I understand because she says it it would be a breach of reader's confidentiality, which makes sense. Um, But then... But that's how police invest... Like, sometimes in a police investigation, like... Yeah. So, like... Instead, she lets, like, a private civilian and her maid go through them. And then Dot lets Hugh read the letters anyway. So, it doesn't Yeah, there's a lot of, um, questionable decisions here, but whatever. (laughs) It moves the plot forward, so. Um, and then Letitia butts in and pitches a story about migrants, so people new to Melbourne. And I think this is a little, it seems a little heavy-handed, but I think it's establishing that she's, like, a go-getter and a little abrasive and annoying. Yeah, well, Miss Charlesworth calls her a shameless opportunist. Yeah. And I feel like the show makes sure to demonstrate this to us, like, 20 to 25 times. Yeah, they really just lay it on. Yeah. But she is wearing a lovely blue dress with, like, a white collar Mm, and white trim. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, And apparently Miss Lavender didn't like the story, so she kind of killed the story, but Letitia thinks she could resurrect it. Yeah. Um, And then we also, like, see, because her, her... 
uh, typewriter is broken, and she asks Mr. Bell to fix it, mentioning that he fixed Miss Lavender's music box. <laughs> also in the scene, um, an important thing that doesn't seem important at the time, but Franny finds a photo of Lavender that Mrs. Charlesworth took, which is a cyanotype. And it turns everything Prussian blue, so I looked up... It doesn't turn everything cyan? Well, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, also that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I looked up this type of photography. It was discovered in 1842 by John Herschel. Um, and it was originally considered a means of reproducing notes and diagrams, like blueprints. And then Anna Atkins created a series of cyanotype books documenting ferns and plant life. So she would put them onto coated paper and let the light create like a silhouette effect. And she's sometimes considered to be the first female photographer. Wow. So even the um, murder weapon has a link to women's history. That's pretty cool. I wonder if they did that on purpose. Uh, perhaps. Was that in the book? Do you remember? I don't remember if that was in the book. Um, anyways, this type of photography is still used by contemporary artists. Well, that's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that research, Genevieve. You're welcome, Mackenzie. Um, it is important to the plot as well. So the other key piece of the murder in this scene is that Letitia, who I have in my notes is Alicia, which is just me not understanding Australian accent. Anyways, <laughs> so Letitia is complaining that her pictures are missing from the migrant article. Right. Yes, that is important. So, and then, yeah, her typewriter's jammed. And then I had in my notes about this scene that um, Mr. Bell is kind of like complaining that he doesn't know why she thinks he can fix it. And I feel like this is a little, it's a little nod to like male essentialism. Just because someone's a man doesn't mean he can fix things. That's true. Yeah. And also it's like her typewriter is jammed and she immediately is like, where is Mr. Opie? And it's like, presumably it just broke. Like what? Yeah. She seems, uh, yeah. Talk about a noxious coworker. Yeah. Of course, these are the people that get ahead in life and then. She doesn't get ahead though. She literally gets murdered. She literally shortens. she literally falls down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So <laughs> Um, so then back at City South Police Station, Miss Fisher and Jack are discussing that there are too many suspects, which like yeah, there are. <laughs> uh, and um also they discuss the cyanotypes, which mm -hmm. uh are processed with cyanide, which establishes her as also a suspect. Yes. Which Franny doesn't believe could be true. Yeah, I guess actually that wasn't the murder weapon. They just thought it was the murder weapon. Well, I mean, yeah, cyanide was the murder but weapon, it but it was, it was a not different source. Photographs, yeah. yeah. And then Dot storms in, having found a threat amongst the letters that she was reading from Desperate's husband. Yes. Um, also, we learned that Mr. Bell is booked into a hotel with a lady friend. <laughs> oh, that's all I have. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> commentary you're looking for listeners. yes <laughs> all right so then franny says that she's signed dot up to be the new agony aunt which and is why she was reading the letters but but then anyway they decide that hugh should help her read the letters so there was like no purpose of hiding it from them because they're gonna get to read them anyway yeah and jack also sees right through that and it's just like oh cool more clues yeah um, but then we do get a cute scene of Hugh and Dot reading the letters together, and he, Oh my goodness, it's so adorable. He pretends that he's reading a letter from a reader, and it's actually just, he's talking about himself and his relationship with Dot, and he wants to know if she's his girl. And, and she said she's definitely his girl. Even after he makes a little dig about how she might not be capable of answering the letters. <laughs> I know, she's, he seems very skeptical of her new job, and it's a little bit like, anyways. Yeah. Just whatever, I'll forgive him for it, because it was a really cute thing to do. Yeah. So, before we get the cute Hugh and Dot scene, though, um, Franny is in the magazine office looking through back issues, and Letitia is trying to get her photographs back for the article, and a man in a white coat is visiting her. So he was presumably applied one of the photographs that is missing, and so he has another photo of the squadron, and he says he's going to bring it to her. He's there in the office talking to her. Right. And giving her the photo. And then um, she runs out after him and asks him something about the photograph. Okay. Right. And then while she's gone, Miss Fisher grabs something off her typewriter. Yes, because then she's finishing up, prints something on her typewriter, and takes it with her, and then Phryne takes the cartridge out and puts it in her bag just before Mrs. Charlesworth comes back in. Did you say she prints something out on her typewriter? <laughs> yes. That's technically printed. <laughs> yeah, but it, it prints continuously the whole time you're using it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not saying 
fucking print on your computer. <laughs> I understand how typewriters work. Just checking, just checking. <sighs> I've used a typewriter before. Um, so then Miss Fisher arrives back at her home to find that uh, Lean has brought his future bride to the house to stash her there because his grandmother beat her with a cane. And also she doesn't speak English. Like, he, I bet. <laughs> does he really not have any other friends in the city besides his occasional lover? I know, right? Like, he's lived there. He has, like, a business there. He, like... I mean, maybe all of his connections are in Chinatown, but, like, we first meet him in an episode where he's, like, knows all the theater people and is, like, selling them silks. I'm just saying, like, he could have paid for a hotel. He could have had... I'm sure he has friends that are not in the, like, Chinese community. But, but no... He brings her to Franny's house. That wouldn't make very good TV, I guess, if he brought her somewhere else. <laughs> so then, um, he stashes her there, and we, of course, get some, like, humorous pantomime with Dot trying to communicate things to her, which, like, is an obvious setup for the fact that she definitely does speak oh, yeah, English yeah, and has yeah. been understanding the whole time. And then Franny and Dot just start, like, rifling through her things, which I thought was a little rude, but... Yeah, but they find a book full of her commie secrets... Also, I'd just like to note that as previously established in Ruddy Gore, Franny speaks Chinese. So why does she not use these skills? Well, maybe, I think, okay, there's a lot of different dialects of Chinese. That's I true. also think speaking Chinese is different than reading Chinese. But no, she speaks to Lin's grandmother in Chinese. So presumably, oh, you're saying she could have, yeah. Yeah, so presumably she could have also spoken to Camellia, but... Yeah, that makes no sense. And in an interview, the actress, Essie Davis reveals that she had to learn just that one only that one sentence <laughs> that was her whole that's all her chinese that she can whip out at parties um, <laughs> so then jack shows up for dinner and, and we see mr butler make his one and only mistake on the show yes great misunderstanding <sighs> he thought mr lean was going to be staying for dinner so he made chinese food which is kind of weird like do you make Chinese food if you have, like, Chinese friends over? Is that a little, weird, a little bit of a weird thing to do? I don't know. I'm trying to think if I've ever had Chinese friends over for dinner. Unclear. <laughs> Anyways, it is Mr. Butler, so he's, I don't know. Yeah. But... Probably cooks excellent Chinese food. Yes, probably. Um, but there's also a bunch of candles lit. The light is, the lights are low. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's <laughs> an atmosphere for sure. Uh, humor ensues, basically. <laughs> And then Friday, like, produces the typewriter cartridge in what can only be described as a romantic gesture. Yes, yes. This dinner is not for sexy times. It is to examine this typewriter. Take. They do, though, have a prolonged her hand on his while they're looking at the cartridge. Oh, yeah. But it's, like, it's unnecessary. Like, she could have just handed it to him. But there's, like, a lingering caress. She knows what she does. She knows what she does. And I think that this is such a murder mystery trope like reading the typewriter tape or <laughs> like reading someone's like the impression yep. someone's left yep. on the ledger or like the you know the next page of their notebook or whatever it's it's such a trope but i mean it's it, really solid clues mackenzie it so. works it, it works, works. Yeah. yeah so they discover that she's written some kind of note arranging a meeting that they must then immediately rush off to because it says bring 200 pounds at 9 p.m and it's five minutes to nine late dinner for a for a professional yeah Faces inches apart alert. Also, I have in my notes. <laughs> um, so they're, of course, too late to this meeting, and we see Letitia getting the shove right down the stairs. And then she immediately dies. Yeah, that also seems unrealistic. I'm not sure. Like, I think that Mr. Bell may have confused, like, trying to cause a miscarriage with murder. Like, I'm not sure that that would kill someone. It was like, <laughs> yeah, the, the stairs were hard. Like, they look like marble. Not marble, but like some sort of very stone-based material. <laughs> it's the scientific term. Um, but I just don't know if that would kill you instantly. Like, you might pass out and have, like, a lot of internal bleeding from tumbling, but I don't think you'd just immediately be bite the dust. Also, I don't think it was necessary for her to die. Like, couldn't she have just been in a temporary coma until they solved a crime mm -hmm. and then she woke up and she was like, oh, it was Mr. Bell, you know? Anyway. The well, bodies are piling she, up. She dies instantly, and Jack and Franny are just too late. Oh, no. Um, so, Franny is thinking it might be the migrant from earlier, who she saw Letitia talking to and kind of following up with. Right, yes. Um, and she pulls the article out, but the photo is gone <sighs> that they were looking at. The photos are going missing. Dun, dun, dun. What <laughs> is it? Those photos. 
Um, so then we finally find out where the threat came from when Dot and Hugh find, or who finds it? I don't know. Yeah, Hugh calls the magazine office and says that they found Desperate. How did Hugh know they were at the magazine office? Probably because Dot told Right, yes. Because they, like, ran out from the house. That makes sense. Um, yes, the husband... Uh, was writing in to say that they totally fucked up when giving advice to his wife, who has, like... Postpartum depression. Yeah. Could that be the Miss Fisher issue of the week? Um, there's a lot of, kind of, like, the women's magazine, postpartum depression. Yeah. Well, so it turns out that she had postpartum depression. She wrote in, Miss Artemis, or Artemis gave her sort of bad advice to just buck up, so she kills herself. And the husband was understandably upset about this, so he is the vandal who wrote yeah. Bitch on the Wall and Broke the Window, but he's not the killer. Yeah, he hasn't left the house since, like, the children are taken away, and he's, like, very clearly a, like, very distraught, very sad man. I think, like, they all see it right away, that, like, this is not the murderer. Yeah. Although, this must be the next day, so they must... Yeah, I think it's the next day. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's at night when they go to the magazine office. Yeah. Um, I think it's a halfway mark red herring. Dun dun! <laughs> There's we, several we, of those. We probably could get a sound effect so we that you don't have to. We should definitely get a red herring sound effect. Yes. Um, so then, since they just don't seem to be making any progress, Jack and Miss Fisher start to bicker um, at the back of the magazine office because Jack thinks that Miss Charlesworth did it and Franny thinks that's impossible. And then Miss Charlesworth, she doesn't seem to care that she's a suspect at all. She's Which, unconcerned. Also, Jack finds a contract, like, from another magazine offering Miss Lavender money for her stories. And then, like, they also ask if, like, who, if she dies, who becomes the full owner? And it's Mrs. Charlesworth, so. Yeah. So that is suspicious. Mm-hmm. But then Miss Charlesworth knocks over a glass of water. Which is another just, like, such an obvious clue, but anyway. It's clean water! How could she have clean water if the pipes had been broken? <laughs> so, it's a clue! A clue! We should also get a clue noise. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, Or just a little gong that we ring when there's a clue. We could just get a gong sound effect. No, I think we need an actual gong. <laughs> I'll obtain one. Okay, great. It's on my Stay list. tuned for the gong. Um, so the answer to this question is that Stephen Opie lied. He actually fixed the pipes the night before, but he lied about it because, um, he didn't want to alert his wife to the fact that he knew she was lying about where she was. Yeah, and he seems, like, very devoted. He was, like, kind of checking in on her, and then she wasn't at the office, so he lied to, like, give her an alibi. Also, like, I just don't think, I mean... When it's a murder investigation, you don't want to fuck around like that. Like, just tell the truth. I don't know. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. You don't want all your business out in the papers and in court and all that, you know? Yeah, you but think, I mean, well, it doesn't matter. You don't want to make yourself look like you did it, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so we find out that Mrs. Opie was meeting her man friend, Mr. Bell. I have noted, he's ringing her bell. And then she says, it's not grubby like you think, which, um... I'm sorry, (laughs) you made a joke. (laughs) That's okay, it wasn't that good. (laughs) No, say it again for the listeners. He's ringing her bell. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what kids are calling it these days? Well, I mean, better than working on her pipes, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely better than that. Um, anyway, she claims it's not grubby. Yeah, they have big important talks about literature, etc. please. Her husband doesn't understand her, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're still cheating on him, so I... Most, most importantly, though, Jack's wearing a pinstripe suit in this scene, and it looks great. (laughs) Sorry, I interrupted you. Do you think he's... No, I wasn't saying anything important. Okay. Jack's suit is much more important. Do you think he's wearing it to impress Friday? Yes. To show some range? Yeah, I think so. He doesn't often wear pinstripes. No, he usually just wears the gray. Yeah. Um, then we have another close face. They're while they're, like, leaning on the railing. Just, yeah. like, touching, which, like, I don't think you would do that with just a coworker. No. Like, if you were so. leaning on the stairwell at work talking to your coworker about the case, would your arms just be, like, fully against each other? <laughs> I don't think so, no. no. I can't think of any work situation. No, I try to avoid touching my coworkers. Yeah, I think that's, you know, kind of how the rule of thumb. Yeah. Anyways, they're very close. Um, and I actually became, I mean, obviously I became obsessed with Down Nabby, like, didn't we all? Um, and I remember 
reading or watching some special where they interviewed the guy who was like specializing in 1920s etiquette who was there a consultant mm-hmm. on the show and if you watch it you notice that they don't ever really touch each other mm-hmm. and i guess that was intentional because in the 20s people knew about germ theory uh. but they did not yet have antibiotics so they didn't touch each other because they didn't want to spread germs well friday and jack don't seem very concerned about spreading germs yeah i guess not i don't mind <laughs> Um, and they're discussing whether Mr. Opie is a suspect, um, and then Mrs. Opie calls them telling that dies on the phone because Camellia speaks English? Yeah. It's, uh... Also, I have noted that, um, Jack says some men will do anything for a hot meal, which I think is hearkening back to the time that she feeds him food. I hope so. But also, what exactly does that mean? Mm, a hot meal, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I guess so, Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, Mrs. Opie and Mr. Bell were enjoying some hot meals. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, Well, this is just awkward, you know, sex euphemism, so we'll move on. Yeah, so, um, Dot, uh, Miss Fisher comes home to confront Camellia about the fact that she speaks English, and we find out that she eloped with a communist who was then subsequently executed, uh, and so she flees back to her family who arranged for her to marry Lean instead, but they, they sort of disguise the fact that she had already been married, um, and now she can't go home, though, because her father mm-hmm. might kill her for dishonoring the family. So then Franny tells Lean about this in her slip, which I, I don't know why she is not clothed. Because I think they, presumably they just got it on. With Camellia in the house? Yeah, it's pretty weird. Rude. I know, like, it's not like she wouldn't know what was going on. It's rude. (laughs) And then also, Miss Fisher tries to convince him that he should marry her, marry Camellia, which is a freaking weird thing to do. I think maybe Miss Fisher's just kind of like, it's run its course, she's done with him. She's trying to get rid of him. Yeah, I think she's kind of trying to ease him off. Yeah. Well, he thinks that he's in love with her, so, like, good luck with that one, first of all. And he kind of lets her down easy, or lets him down easy, mm-hmm. and says that she needs to go meet the detective inspector, which makes him pretty jealous. So uh-huh. the tables have turned on him this time. Yeah. She's working with Jack, but it's strictly business. Strictly business. Is it? Is it really? And then there's sort of this, like, heartrending parting. Mm-hmm. Well, for him, anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say, for her, I think she's sort of like, oh, well... Sort of like, you know, when you date someone online for a few months, and then you're just gonna... It's yeah. time. Yeah. It's like, um, you know that song, X's and O's? It's kind of what Miss Fisher reminds me of. Like, kept him warm in the winter, left him frozen in the uh-huh. spring. <laughs> <sighs> yep. Anyway, back at the magazine office, uh, Mrs. C gives Miss Fisher some old notes on the immigrant article, which lead her to an Italian barber, the man who delivered the photo. The man in the white coat. With the cheesy fake Italian accent. He's Italian! <laughs> he makes it a pizza pie. No, he doesn't. He's a yeah, I know he doesn't. <laughs> and then we find out that he had a photo of his squadron that he turned in for the article, and then Miss Lavender, so he gave it to Letitia, but then Miss Lavender followed up with him and asked him about a man in the photograph. Yes. So he gives Franny some photographic plates, and they figure out which man in the photos he's thought Miss Lavender was interested in. And then the door slams and Camellia's dragged off in a Studebaker. It's important that we note that it was a Studebaker. <laughs> it's in my notes. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> um, and then we just take a whole detour from the murder. Just a whole jersey. Just, we're down at the docks, the murder is... Sort of a, a classic Miss Fix Fisher, you think it's the climax of the episode, but it's not. <laughs> um, and the whole scene is so weird, like... She, she's, like, rescuing Camellia, who's been abducted by Lean's grandmother. But, like, Lean is also there, but despite this, Miss Fisher is the one who, like, goes into the building to, like, untie her and engages in, like, fisticuffs. It's well, like... I think Lean was gonna cause a distraction. Does he, though? No. <laughs> He's kind of useless. Anyways. A distraction from what? The fact that she's sitting there unguarded? Like... <laughs> oh, well, maybe that's why she is unguarded, because he has created the distraction. It's just a quiet distraction. I guess I kind of like that he creates a distraction and she goes in for the fight. Like. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, I'll know that in the book, this plot line, I, re- I was reading the book and I was sort of like, I don't know if I can read this because I like a good tidy murder mystery. 
And, like, these books are not, like, in the show they do their best to kind of pull it together, but the books are just sort of, like, an adventure story, and, like, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. So that's kind of what is happening here, because all this happens in the book, but just in a more sort of sprawling way. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you know, Camellia and Miss Fisher take out these thugs uh, with the cricket bat, um, and Camellia's, like, martial arts skills, because, like, obviously if there's an Asian character, they need to know karate and stuff, so. I did write that I would like to see a, a book or, sh- like, episode with these two just working together, like, just full, not really the murder mystery thing, just, like, full on, they're, like, martial arts experts, and it's, like, Phryne and Camellia just, like, beating a bunch of guys up. Yeah, I'd read that or watch that. Yeah. I would do that. That's that's the spinoff I want. Exactly. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I needed it in this episode, but I do need the spinoff. So then Lean insists to his grandmother that he's going to marry Camellia no matter what she says, and I guess that's the end of it. And Miss Fisher just sort of, like, awkwardly shuffles off. Yeah, she, like, looks at her watch and then just, like, leaves. Like, oh, my work is done here. I've set up my ex with a new woman. (laughs) (laughs) And then who's waiting for her but Jack Robinson? Yes, she's late for her date with Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are there to arrest John Bell, who we find out was a German spy all along. Um, and the two dead journalists found out about him through the immigrant Melbourne story, and that is why he killed them. Yeah, so just to add a little of my murder context. <laughs> so he... He was an Italian pilot, but he was also a German spy. So he betrayed the Italian pilots. And then um, he had told Mrs. Charlesworth that he'd been brought to Australia as a child, but that was just a cover story. He was really a traitor. And so Miss Lavender sees the photo and realizes that, like, he's lying about growing up in Australia because in this photo he's clearly in the Italian, like, army. Um, And then Letitia, so Miss Lavender... Well, he kills Miss Lavender because she's figured him out and destroys the photo. And then Letitia sees that it's gone. So she gets the new photo and she realizes that it's him. And then he kills her. Um, Although she was attempting to blackmail him first. And then Miss Lavender had just given him advice to turn himself in, which was unwelcome. (laughs) So he killed her. Um, So really her agony aunt thing really did do her in, in a way. It's true. And... Mrs. Opie says that she was with him during the murder, and Mr. Opie attacks him. And then we learn that Mr. Bell had a cyanide pill from the war, and he offers to fix the music box, but turns it into a murder weapon instead by putting the cyanide and acid on the winder, which then when she winds it, puts off a noxious gas. So I think that the lesson that we all need to take away from this is if you find out that someone has committed a crime and you advise them to turn themselves in and then a possession of yours breaks and they (laughs) offer to repair it for you, do not accept this offer because it may be a veiled attempt to kill you. (laughs) They might put cyanide and acid on this. Just ridiculous. I also don't, yeah, I don't really understand. Also, like, the war ended ten years prior to this episode. Would the cyanide capsule have still been good? I think it's pretty powerful. I guess so. I don't know about the delivery method of it being airborne, like, being inactive and then being airborne when she turns the music box. So much so that it instantly kills a bird. I guess he set it up so that they didn't mix until she turned it. Oh, that, okay. Yeah, but, like, I mean, that seems unrealistic. Yeah, we can, I have more to say on this when we rate the murder method. (laughs) Anyways, Um, John is arrested. Mrs. Opie sobs. So, in the next scene, um, the part about Camellia I propose skipping because it doesn't seem that important. It's for the migrant article. Yeah, ties, it ties the two plots together. It's really important. It's Mackenzie funny. wanted to skip this scene, listeners. <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> Anyways, Mrs. Charlesworth offers Dot a job as an agony aunt. Dot turns it down. Um, and I can't help thinking that it would have been better if she'd accepted it part-time and they could have tied it into future oh, episodes. So fun. Sort of like Sex in the City style, like sort of the thing she was writing would have tied into the theme of the overall episode, you know. Uh, so then Jack comes over, and, and this I, is a terrific scene. I wrote prolonged handshake ensues. Oh, man. And there's just a lot of sort of dancing around the issue uh-huh. where Miss Fisher is telling him in a coded way that, 
his rival, Mr. Lean, is no longer on the table, and um, then they agree that they can allow themselves one candle. So she lights one of the candles, because in the previous dinner scene, she had put them all out and mm -hmm. turned the lights on mm -hmm. for a less romantic mm -hmm. uh, dinner. Now, I think there's some theories floating around out there that after this, like, after the episode is over, we're not watching anymore. They, like, get it on. There's a lot of theories about that. And there's a lot of theories about after season two, I think, that yeah. people think after the season two finale. I don't think so. But I do think that they're indicating that the flame is burning. Oh, the flame is definitely burning. I will say the flame is burning despite Phryne's horrible jacket. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. Like, I think if I would like, to a romantic dinner with someone and they were wearing that, I, I think I would be less attracted to that. <laughs> I literally can't even remember it. It's like, it appears to be a set of hideous drapes. It's like a huge boa. And it has <laughs> these little, like, tap, like, like, um, like, drape hanger, like, um, like, beads that would hang on oh, really gross. ugly, ugly drapes. And okay. that's really, like, it kind of looks like a it. bedspread fabric. It's really bad. It's you, you got a lot of hate for this. I really, I, I was watching the scene and I wanted to enjoy it and all I could look at was that stupid boa thing. I guess I was blinded by the just sheer force of, like, Jack's grin. Mm. I was like, his grin at the end where they light the candle, it's just, I mean. I wrote, he makes what can only be described as eyes at her. Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. That's it. That's the episode. Um, so I think I can guess what you had for worst outfit. The jacket at the end. How did you guess? <laughs> um, I almost wish I'd chosen that one, but I actually put the floral dress that Miss Lavender wears mm. in the cold open. I, it's like she's Miss Lavender and she's wearing lavender. I just think it's really ugly. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I don't mind a bold floral print, but I don't think that one's working. The color, yeah. This, yeah. Best outfit? Um, I actually have Letitia's blue and white dress, um, because it honestly just looks like something that I would wear <laughs> today. Yeah. Yeah. I had Friday's white pants with the, like, purple silk kimono shirt. It's oh, something yeah. I wish I could wear that I probably could not pull off. She's a lot of great pajamas in this episode. I actually had all of her, like, sexy sleepwear as an honorable mm -hmm. mention. Like, the slip, the robe. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. Who did you have for best week? I had lean for best week, actually, because I think he, um, made some important strides in that he was kind of forced to get over Friday, and he found, like, a similarly badass lady who, you know, is a better match for him in the long run. You're right, yeah. Um, I had best week because Jack, for Jack, um, because he gets one up on his rival, Lean, so. Yeah. They both had good weeks, mm -hmm. but, yeah. But Jack arguably had a better week, especially if you buy the theory that they, like, got it on at the end. I wish. <laughs> Only in the fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, worst week. I had Mrs. Charlesworth. <laughs> Literally two of her employees got murdered on the premises of her business. I just don't know how you come back from that. Yeah, like, what are you even writing your magazine about that? Yeah, I don't know. The insurance is going to go through the roof, too. Um, so then, so I wrote that Camelia has the worst week because first she gets caned, and then she has to marry a guy who literally has to be talked into marrying her by his ex-girlfriend. Like, <laughs> what? True. <laughs> but then I remember the guy whose wife kills herself, and all his kids get taken away by welfare, and that's really sad, too. So okay, he actually probably had the worst week. Yeah. I can agree on that. Okay, what'd you rate the murder method? I put eight. <laughs> I mean, murder, or, like, murder by music box, like, it's pretty clever. Yeah. I mean, I gave it a nine for absurdity, because that's, like, <laughs> where my ratings always come from, but, like, I also have noted, like, what are the chances that would even have worked? How could he have tested it? Like, there's no, there was no means for him to test it, unless he had, like, another, an additional canary, like. Yeah, I think he got pretty lucky. Yeah. And then there was, let's not forget, a second murder method, which was pushing Letitia down the stairs. And I gave that a two because it probably wouldn't have even worked. I didn't even rate that one. Yeah. Just didn't even deserve it. It didn't deserve a rating. Um, absurd Miss Fisher skill of the week. I said hand-to-hand -hand combat. I literally wrote hand-to-hand -hand combat! <laughs> word for word. <laughs> uh, sexual tension. I put eight. Uh, after discussing, I probably should have put nine. Oh, 9,000. <laughs> Um, I put 8.5, but I'd like to amend to 9,000. 9,000. Yeah, after discussing, I feel like I, I have a new appreciation for just how much sexual tension was in this episode. Oh my god. Full body scans, discussion of oh, kiss, man. a flame metaphor, oh, jealousy, man. discussion of wooing, extensive faces two inches apart. I mean, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> All right. Well... 
Thank you, dozens of listeners who are tuning in. Uh, follow us on social media. We are on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter. Find us. And if you have um, any questions, any feedback, or anything you'd like us to discuss, please feel free to reach out. We would love to hear from you. And we did. We did actually get a yeah. Reader, we got a reader comment on our website. Um, asking us that we review um, ga- Game Set Murder. Is yes. that what the name of the episode? Yeah. Um, which I would just like to note, I love that episode, and I can't wait to review it, but we are going in order. So we yes. will review Season 3 when we get to it, which, frankly, cannot come soon enough, because yes. it's so fucking awesome. So good. Um, we were also, for those who are active on Twitter, we did get some pretty cool analysis about Jack Robinson's leaning in all the episodes as demonstrated in this episode by the leaning on the stairwell while fully pressed against Miss Fisher. So keep up the sleuthing, ladies. Yeah, that was some pretty intense analysis. So I hats off to you guys. Yes. All right. That's a wrap for this week. Next week, we'll be discussing season one, episode nine, Queen of the Flowers. Can't wait. That's a good one. It's a good See one. you next week. More hand-to-hand combat in that one. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, see you next week.